Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, church. My name is Luke Morales, and I will be reading from Luke chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. And it reads, Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Then Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, Look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Luke, thanks for reading the scripture today. Thanks for reading while you were on vacation, you recorded that. That's, that's pretty good. Thank you very much. So uh, my guess is all of you, or most of you at least, uh, have seen in insurance policies the, the phrase, acts of God. Right? Your homeowner's policy or something, acts of God. Well, those things are, you know, those are like earthquake and flood and tsunamis and uh, what else? Uh, tornadoes, those kinds of things, right, are acts of God. Um, funny, we don't think of sometimes really awesome things as acts of God, but we think of the negative things as acts of God. Now, I know, I know uh, insurance companies are not theological institutions, and they're not trying to proclaim new truth about God. They're trying to, you know, place parameters around what they will cover and what they won't. And if you need that covered, we, have a, we can add a writer to your policy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. So, I, I understand, but, but part of the deal is, is we get accustomed to that phrase, acts of God, as, as a way of explaining things. And it, and it really speaks to our human deep need to ascribe meaning to events, especially events that are really, we feel like we can't even explain, I have a hard time even understanding it, especially when they're tragic. Boy, then we're really like, God, why did you do that? Or, or sometimes, the, God, why did you let that happen? Well, today, Jesus is, talks a little bit about acts of God, but in a really different way than we expect. So this is one of those scriptures that I think if you just, if you just read through it, it can be kind of confusing, and you might, might, it would be real easy to kind of focus on one thing and not get the point of what Jesus is trying to get at. And so we're just going to dig into this scripture a, a little bit uh, further today. So it begins, Luke 13, starting in the first verse, and it starts with, Some who were present on that occasion. What occasion? What's going on? I mean, what's the occasion that someone is there? And, and so we have to remember that those, those numbers, chapters and verses, those numbers were added after the Bible was put together 
to help us find things. And we sometimes think that, oh, at the start of a new chapter, it must be a new section. Well, not necessarily. You have to go back to chapter 12 to really understand this first part of chapter 13. And chapter 12 is full of Jesus doing apocalyptic teaching. And you're like, okay, what kind of, what kind of, what, what is that? The book of Revelation is apocalyptic, right? Apocalyptic has to do with things that are the ultimate good versus ultimate evil, things that are life and death, things that are stark, things that are dramatic. And apocalyptic teaching is, is intended not so much to be taken literally as it is to be rhetorical to get your attention, to, to kind of make the point and just really drive it home. Some of us uh, remember the days that churches used to have revivals. You bring in a guest preacher, and sometimes those preachers would be fire and brimstone preachers, right? They'd tell you, they'd tell you where you were going. <laughs> oh yeah, they would. What what they were doing was apocalyptic preaching. They were putting things in very stark terms, very dramatic terms, trying to elicit a response. Right. That's what they were doing. So that's what Jesus is doing all through chapter 12. And, and generally when he does that, and this happens in all the Gospels, uh, some section, and generally it just confuses people. And then they start asking a whole lot of questions. So to, right toward the end of chapter 12, in verse 54, Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud forming in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain. And it does. You know how to interpret conditions on earth and in the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret the present time? In a sense, why is it you're struggling to make sense of current events? Things that happen, and, and you just say, oh, it must be an act of God. Oh, it must be a, or God let that happen. Maybe it was, maybe it was the devil that made that happen. Why, why do you have so much trouble understanding what's going on? So, some who were present on that occasion told him about those Galileans who were killed by the orders of Pilate while they were offering sacrifice. They were doing an act of worship. Soldiers killed these Galileans on the orders of Pilate. We're going to hear more about Pontius Pilate in the few, next few weeks, right? That governor who was uh, ruthless, cruel, bloodthirsty. Galileans, this would have been people, Jesus might have known some of these families because he's from Galilee, right? He's, Nazareth is his hometown in Galilee. So these Galileans who are offering sacrifice are killed by the orders of Pilate. And so they say that to Jesus kind of as a, okay, what is that? What is that, Jesus? How do you explain that? There's a current event for you. Now, what's driving the question is a question that sometimes uh, we still struggle with, and it's the idea that, that if something really bad happens to a person, well, they might have some sin in their life that they don't know about, some sin in their life they're not admitting to. Unfortunately, that, that line of thinking is still out in the, in the world we inhabit today. I've, I've heard that said to people who lost a family member in a car wreck. I've heard that said to a, to a woman who had a miscarriage. I've, oh, just... Terrible, terrible things to say. I mean, because the flip side of that is, well, if everything's going well in your life, well, God must love you more than somebody else. 
So Jesus, so, I mean, that's kind of the question they're posing to him. And so, and so uh, Jesus uh, pretty quickly replies uh, and says, so do you think the suffering of those Galileans proves that they were more sinful than other Galileans? That somehow God made sure they were singled out? You're trying to say that's an act of God somehow? No, he says, no. I tell you, unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Wait, what? Is that a threat? Is that what? But then he just keeps going with his own example. He says, what about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the most guilty people of wrongdoing who lived in Jerusalem? I mean, was this a moment that God just kind of happened to go, wow, look, the 18 most sinful people in Jerusalem are at the Tower right now. I can take care of that. Is that it? No, that's not what God's doing. Sometimes inexplicable things happen. There's a structural failure. It's not about punishing sinful people. It's not about God making that happen. <laughs> then he says it again. He says it again. No, but I tell you, unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Okay, so if you really pay attention to this passage, you kind of start going, wait a minute. So then Jesus does what he often does when he says things that are kind of confusing and you're kind of like, okay, what the heck is he talking about? He tells a parable. He tells a story. Uh, he does that frequently to illustrate his point. So he tells the story. He says a man had a, had a fig tree in a vineyard. He planted this fig tree because, well, if you plant a fig tree, you're going to want figs off of it, right? You want the fruit. So he, he tells the gardener, he says, you know what? I've been coming to this fig tree for three years, and for three years there is no fruit on this fig tree. Just cut it down. And the gardener says, oh, well, well, no, no, no. Tell you, give me one more year. I'm going to give it extra fertilizer. I'm going to water it. I'm going to take care of it. I'll do everything I possibly can. So give me another year. And, and I under, but I understand. I mean, there comes a point where you say it's time, and we'll cut, it, we'll cut it down in a year if there's no fruit. Well, to put it in the most simple fashion, Jesus, in the parable, God is the owner. Jesus is the gardener. We're the fig tree. Jesus is doing everything Jesus can to make sure we bear fruit, that we become healthy spiritually, we become healthy in all ways, but that we become spiritually, that we're the people God intends us to be. He's doing everything possible. That is an act of God. And yet, and yet it's not acknowledging. We all have our time. We don't live forever. And so part of the point is, so don't, why wait? <laughs> Do things in your life that will bear fruit. Don't wait till it's too late and you've left things undone. You see, this is what it means to be redeemed. Something that was destined for destruction has been saved. Jesus has redeemed us by saying, give me more time. I'm going to do everything I can. Because the expectation of a fruit tree is that when you plant a fruit tree, you're going to have fruit, right? That's the idea. So we've been redeemed. Jesus has redeemed us in order that we would bear fruit. 
Fruit is used frequently throughout the Bible as, as an analogy of what it means to be a faithful living, that you would produce good fruit for God's purposes and God's cause. So, uh, I mean, really, all through the Bible, even Luke uses it in chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 13. Well, what's, what's fruit exactly? Well, I mean, the easiest place to look, one aspect of the fruit we're talking about, is um, when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, and he says, the fruit of the Spirit. The result of the, of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life means these results will emerge. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things will, will grow. That fruit will grow in your life. And things that, are not, that do not honor God would decrease. That's, that's the idea. And so Jesus redeems us to bear fruit. So, Because Jesus redeems us, our job then is to repent. That's a common theme. That's a churchy word. That's a common theme uh, through the Gospels, and especially at this time of the year when we're in Lent, just as we're headed toward uh, Holy Week and, and Easter, uh, to repent. That literally means to change your mind. But I don't, I don't know about you. I go to a restaurant, and I change my mind half a dozen times on what I'm going to order. But it's not that kind of change your mind. In the ancient world, they thought of your mind as the center of your being. Well, most of the time, in our day and time, we think of it as our heart. Our heart. So another way to put it would be, what Jesus is talking about, is calling us to, is a change of heart. Change of heart. We see that in a lot of different ways in, uh, in literature and in film. I mean, every year we see at least once... Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, and the character Scrooge, right? He has a new perspective because of the experiences. He has a change of heart, and then he starts being generous and kind and joyful. He bears fruit because he had a change of heart. One of the the stories in the Bible that shows this is the story of Zacchaeus. This is later in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Some of us learned that Sunday school song when we were children. And I can't say the name Zacchaeus without just going into it. So I'll spare you me singing it. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a, would have been a tax collector, of course, were hated, despised by the people. You know, not like we think of tax collectors. These were people who were, they were Jewish people who went to work for the Roman government, the enemy, to collect taxes from the Jewish community. And of course, they could add extra fees and they could become wealthy on their own. They were hated. And it wasn't as much that they got wealthy. I mean, that was part of it because most of the people were very, very desperately poor. But imagine if a Ukrainian went to the Russians and said, hey, I want to go to work for you. Uh, That person would not be very popular in their hometown. That's the way people felt about tax collectors in biblical times. He heard Jesus was coming through town. He wanted to see Jesus. He had heard about Jesus. Everybody heard about Jesus. He was was a prophet who who taught amazing things. He had worked all these miracles. Some said he was the Messiah. He was coming through, and and he desperately wanted to see him. And so, of course, the crowd's not going to open up for him to get through. So he climbs up into a tree so he can see Jesus. But the thing is, Jesus sees him. 
I mean, sees him. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. Go make preparations at your house. I'm coming to have dinner with you tonight. Zacchaeus was overjoyed. Wow, he was seen. And if Jesus is coming over, that means Jesus has accepted him. And in those days, if you went to someone's house, if you were under their roof, you were basically saying, I, I agree and approve of this person. No one went to see Zacchaeus, but Jesus did. And he's so overjoyed, he's so overwhelmed by this grace that he experiences from Jesus that he he has a change of heart. And he says, I've cheated a lot of people over the years, and I'm going to repay all those people. He bore fruit. Well, I know it can be hard for us to think of what what does it mean to... Um, have a change of heart and to bear fruit. So we're going to play a, have a little imagination uh, exercise. So um, uh, imagine wherever wherever you are, wherever you want to imagine yourself to be. But you but you see Jesus. However it is you imagine Jesus, whatever he looks like, you imagine Jesus. You see Jesus, and he sees you. Your eyes meet, and he says your name. He says, hey, you, come on over. And you look, and there's, there's Jesus. He's kneeling down, and there's a big bowl of water, and there's a towel. And you remember, oh, yeah, there's that time in the Bible that he washed the feet of the disciples, which I know to us sounds odd, but that was, that was a, a, a gesture of uh, hospitality in those days, that people had to walk everywhere all the time. And when they came in, one of the lowliest servants of the house would wash the feet of the guests. It was just kind of a commonly expected practice of hospitality. And there's Jesus going to wash the feet of the disciples, right? We think about this often in seasonal Lent. And, and Peter's like, no, don't wash my feet. Are you kidding me? You're, you're not a servant. And Jesus says, no, 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 I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And I'm doing this as an example for you. All that goes through your mind, and, and, and so Jesus says, hey, come on, come on over here. There's a, there's a couple of seats here. Come sit over here. I'll, I'll wash your feet. And, and Okay. And you walk over there, and you sit down, and your brain is racing, and your heart is pounding, and you kind of close your eyes to just take it in. And, and before anything happens, you hear Jesus call out, hey, you, and you look up, and he's calling somebody else. Oh, but... Oh. It's that person that is the last person on earth you ever want to see. It might be somebody who really hurt you in your life. It could be a political figure that you particularly hate. Jesus says, come on over, there's another chair, come on over. I'll wash your feet too. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, don't sit next to me, don't sit next to me, don't sit next to me. And gratefully, they sit a seat away. There's a seat between you, and you're like, okay. And before anything starts again, Jesus calls out to somebody else, hey, you, come on over, have a seat. And you look up, and it's that person that you know you let down. It was that person that you hurt You betrayed their trust. Maybe you lied to them, whatever it is. And you're thinking, oh, no, no, not them. And they come over and they sit right next to you. 
And so then Jesus begins to wash the feet, and he washes the feet of that person you really don't like, and then there's the, washes the feet of the person you're really ashamed to be with, and then your feet, and washes them, and he dries them, and every, every, with every person, he, he, when he's done, he looks you right in the eye and says your name, he says, hey, you know I love you, right? Is that a change of heart? Let's pray. Oh God, we love to uh, talk about, think about, sing about your grace, your love, how you have redeemed us. We love to sing those things. And when we think about seeing, say those things, we're thinking about it, well, often we're thinking about it just for me. It's just me. You love me so much. But God, indeed, you, <laughs> yes, that grace is amazing because you love all. You love the people that we don't like. We, you love the people that we have hurt. Jesus is there to wash their feet too. So God, may we understand that your act is grace. It is redemption. It is making our lives possible to be fruitful in the ways that we honor God and that we serve people. And that we would not just be selective, but that we would understand that your love, your grace, that redemption is for all. Help us to be the people you intend, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.